Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. One of the obstacles that people face when they are pursuing a relationship with God is their belief that God still holds their sins against them. This is a very serious obstacle. And unfortunately, there is an abundance of people who are in positions of leadership who continually find new and creative ways to tell people that God holds their sins against them in some way. Now, people describe this in many creative ways. Sometimes they tell people, well, God doesn't hold your sins against you to the extent where he won't let you into heaven. He may not hold your sins against you in that way. But he's not going to be able to bless you here on earth as much as he would like. Or he might not be able to reward you in the way that he would like to when you do finally enter into his kingdom. People come up with all kinds of creative ways to share with people this belief that God still holds their sins against them in some way, in some capacity. Now, why do they do this? I mean, why do they really tell people this? Why do they tell people this? I have to ask this question because there must be a motive of some kind. Now, I have gone to many leaders throughout my life, and I have asked them this question either directly or indirectly. I've asked people, Why do you believe God still holds people's sins against them? Why do you really believe that? Why is it important for you to believe that? And sometimes leaders have told me, sometimes they've told me that they don't believe that, but they have to tell their people that, because if they didn't tell their people that, then their people would just be totally out of control, things like that, or the people wouldn't tithe or whatever. And so I do know people who do know better. They do know that God doesn't hold anybody's sins against him anymore, but they lie. They are liars. They are dishonest. And they know it. And they do it for their own personal self-interest. And there are a lot of people who are like that, and they're okay with that. Their own personal self-interest in the sense that they know full well that if they tell their people what they really believe, then the people will just simply find another pastor. They'll find another minister. They'll find somebody else to take their place because the people really want to hear that kind of stuff. But there are other pastors and ministers who really do believe that. They really do believe that and they share that with other people and they benefit from that just the same. They do. And they cannot consider that maybe they are wrong. I have confronted many with this question, and they cannot consider that they are wrong because they know what the consequences would be if they did concede that I was right. You know, sometimes people contact me and they tell me, I have been trying to tell my pastor about all the things that you have said. I've been listening to you for years. I have taken you seriously And I have listened to just about every radio program you have produced. I have read just about everything you've written. I know these issues, and I know that what you say is true. And when I try to explain this to my pastor, 
they won't concede. And I argue with them, and I debate with them, and they just simply won't concede. Instead, they just simply cut off communication, and they do not deal with the issues. They never answer my questions. They never deal with the issues that I bring up. Instead, they just simply give me the same old stuff that they continually give to everybody else, assuming that that's going to fix everything. But they are not telling the truth, and I don't know what to do about it. And I tell them, I say, listen, you are wasting your time because they cannot afford to believe what you are saying. They just simply can't afford to do that. They know full well that if they do believe what you are saying, then they're going to lose everything. And they probably have a mortgage on their house. They probably have a loan on their automobile. You know, they have bills they have to pay. And they're probably married, too. And what's going to happen when they lose their income? They might also lose their spouse. They might lose a lot more than you realize if they can see that you're right. They just simply can't afford it. This is a reality of life. And so you have to be aware of this. You have to understand this, that this belief that God holds your sins against you is absolutely everywhere, and it's here to stay. It's not going anywhere. People are going to believe this. Lots of people will believe this. Why do people want to believe this? I mean, is there some other reason why people will believe this? Well, sure, I've just been referring to the leadership so far, but consider the people that are not in leadership positions. Why would they want to believe that? Well, this is the connection between the leadership teaching that kind of stuff and the people who are listening to that kind of stuff and believing that kind of stuff. There is a connection between the two. And the connection has to do with a codependency. It is a codependency that exists in religion that establishes a very powerful bond between the people and the priesthood, whatever form it takes. The codependent relationship is this, and that is that the people will then believe that they can do something in order to resolve the matter, in order to deal with the sin. That's the purpose of the priesthood, is to show the people and to help the people find a way to be reconciled to God. So the dependent relationship between the people and the priesthood is that the people depend on the priesthood to show them, to instruct them, to provide them with a religious environment a spiritual environment with an altar of some kind. Sometimes people call these podiums that they have altars, where they call people down to the altar, they make altar calls and stuff like that. That whole philosophy is based on the idea that the people need the priesthood to help them to deal with their sin. And the other dependency between the priesthood and the people is that the priesthood depends on the people to give their wealth to the priesthood so that the priesthood can make a living doing that. That is the codependency that exists, and there is no way to break these bonds easily. There's no easy way to do it, because both people are going to have to experience some pain. The priesthood will have to let go of the wealth of the people that they are benefiting from, and the people are going to have to let go of the priesthood because there is no true way that they can deal with their sins like they think they can. So they're both going to have to lose something. But if one person gets out of line, what happens? What happens if the priest gets out of line and he says that they don't need to do anything in order to obtain reconciliation between them and their God? Then they're going to go find another priest. And what happens if the people say, I don't need you 
as my priest, as the one who's going to help me, either through providing the environment or the altar or the instruction or the ritual or whatever it may be. I don't need you for that. What's going to happen then? Well, then the priest has got to find some way to get rid of this person. Get rid of this person because they are going to threaten the priest's position, their power, their authority, their wealth, their ability to pay their mortgage, their ability to pay for their car and their groceries, and their ability to keep their spouse with them because their spouse would probably leave them if they lost their position and couldn't make a living. These are the kinds of things that people think about. You have got to get in touch with this, that this is the reality of life. So, in order to accomplish this, The priesthood has to tell people that God holds their sins against them. And the people have to believe that God holds their sins against them so that they need the priesthood. That is how the codependent relationship functions. And as soon as somebody gets out of line or they believe something other than that, they are going to have to leave. Now, how can you say this and also say that God loves you? How do you put that together? Well, this is how it's put together. The way that people do this is they say God loves you so much that he has provided you with a way to be forgiven. That's what the love of God means. It means that he keeps records of all the sins that you commit. And don't worry, he's provided you with a way to deal with those sins. You can say you're sorry. You can apologize. You can confess your sins and he'll be faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. Quoting 1 John 1, 9. I did a program on that in my series on forgiveness, and so please don't assume that I don't acknowledge that verse. I just believe it means something totally different than what people generally believe it means. What people believe it means is that this is a way that you can be loved by your God. This is a way that you can sustain your relationship with your God. That his love for you means that he has provided you with an opportunity to be reconciled to him when you, when you confess and apologize and go through whatever ceremony or ritual that you might want to add to that. But that is not the definition of the love of God. The love of God is not a love that keeps records of all the sins you commit. The love of God does not keep any records of your sins. And that doesn't mean that he does until you confess and then he disposes of the record. No, it means that he never keeps a record. That is what the love of God is. He is patient. What does that mean he's patient? He's patient waiting until you have some extra time in your day that you can confess your sins and ask for forgiveness? No, that's not what his patience is. But there are a lot of people who believe that. I understand that, but I don't believe that. That's why I say, no, it doesn't mean that. Because I believe that his patience is expressed in the midst of sin. That when you commit sin and he is patient with you, that that is his expression of patience. That it's not that he's patiently waiting for you to get your sin under control or he's patiently waiting for you to apologize and confess so that he can be a part of your life again. Absolutely not. I totally reject that belief. But there is an incredible number of people around us who really believe this. I mean, they really do. And it becomes confusing to people because they should know full well that this is not the kind of love that they really need. That this isn't it. That they need an unconditional love. That they need a different kind of love. A love that has nothing to do with their sins at all. The kind of love that says he doesn't hold our sins against us anymore. That kind of love. 
Because if you don't know that love, then you have only one conclusion. And that is that your God is not for you. That he has something against you. And you should be afraid. You should really be afraid. You should be concerned. Because you're never going to know when he's for you and when he's not. You're never going to know when he's with you and when he's not. You're never going to know that. In some cases, you might be getting disciplined by him. Or to use that word in the way that people usually use it, would be to say that God is punishing you in some way for your sin. In Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 34, Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 34, it says, Who is the one who condemns? Well, of course, everyone is condemning. we got lots of people like that, don't we? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Absolutely not. But I will tell you who will separate you from the love of Christ. Your pastor will. Your minister will. Your priest. These people will do it for you. Tribulation and distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, those things won't, but your pastor will. He will separate you because he will tell you that you are separated from God because of your sin. So when you read something like this, how can you really embrace this? I mean, really. How can someone really embrace verse 35 where he says, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? How can they really embrace that when there are lots of people in their life who are separating them from the love of Christ? They are doing that by telling people that God still holds their sins against them. In verse 36, just as it is written, For your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Yeah? You think so? You think you conquer? You don't conquer. Not if you're one of those sheep who are being slaughtered. And where are they being slaughtered? They're being slaughtered in the church. That's where the sheep are. That's the slaughterhouse for a lot of these sheep. They get slaughtered. They get beaten down. They are pummeled. They are torn to pieces because they are continually reminded or told that God holds their sins against them. That is slaughtering the sheep. It is killing people. It is destroying people. It is not only lying to them, but it is putting them in a position where they have no opportunity to know the love of God. The love of God is nothing more than an unfulfilled promise. People know that it exists, but they will never be able to embrace it, ever. In verse 37, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. We will conquer only when we acknowledge the complete forgiveness that we already have, that he has already accomplished through his death in verse 34 and also through his resurrection in verse 34. In verse 38, for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Except, of course, for your sin. That'll do it. Yeah, absolutely. That's what people are believing. Now, I understand that there are a lot of people who are not being deliberate about this. That there are many sincere people. I have met them. I, I know that there are people who exist. I have been around the world and I've talked with a lot of people in a lot of churches and a lot of people who are not in churches who are Christians. I understand that there are a lot of people who are not being deliberate about this, that they are not deliberately trying to take people away from the love of God. They are trying to turn people to the love of God. They are just simply confused. And the people who they are ministering to are confused as well, because this is confusion. This is total confusion. Now, what is the cause of this confusion? Well, there are many causes. There are many reasons why people don't want to believe in forgiveness, not just because of the codependency I explained earlier. There's lots of other reasons. One of the obstacles has to do with the division between the Old and the New Covenants. That's really where a lot of this stuff happens. There are two different covenants that are in the Scriptures. There is the Old Covenant and there is the New Covenant. And both covenants were given by our God. And people struggle with these because quite often they're concerned about living in one or the other or they're trying to find a way to harmonize the two. And they recognize that sometimes they have to make decisions about which one they're going to live by and they feel as though they have to reject one in order to embrace the other. There are a lot of struggles that people deal with when it comes to the subject of the two covenants. Let me explain to you a very simple way that I think that a person can understand this. The old covenant was given for certain reasons, and the new covenant was given for other reasons. The Old Covenant was given for the purpose of the flesh. It was given to deal with the issues concerning the flesh, to show us that the flesh is useless, to show us that there is no way that we can get all of the sin out of our lives, to show us that we have no hope outside of His grace and mercy. That's what the Old Covenant was given for. And it can be used today for that purpose. I use it all the time for that purpose. I use the Old Covenant, and I encourage people to use the Old Covenant to show people that they have a need for the grace and mercy of God. I use it for other reasons as well. There are prophetic foreshadowings throughout the Old Covenant. There are a lot of things found in the Old Covenant concerning the character of our God and how he related to people in the past. Many uses. Unfortunately, what people are doing is they are using it for reasons that it was not given for. He never gave the Old Covenant so that we would know who he is. He never gave it so that we could have a relationship with him. Instead, he gave it so that we would not have a relationship with him, so that we would be driven to the point that we would recognize that we don't, and so that we would be ready to receive what he would be offering with the new covenant, which was the means by which we could have a relationship with him. That was what the new covenant was given for. It was given to deal with the issues of the heart and the spirit, not the issues of the flesh. So I believe that both covenants can exist simultaneously as long as we understand what they were given for, we recognize what they were given for, and we use them for the purpose that they were given for. I understand there are a lot of people who don't believe that and yet still believe that they are distinct. There are a lot of people who believe that they are the same, that the new covenant is instead a renewed old covenant, stuff like that. You know, when it comes to people 
who believe that they are distinct, but they don't believe that the old covenant really has any value for us anymore. Sometimes they say things like this. They say, well, we understand that that is sin because the old covenant says that it's sin, but we're not under the old covenant anymore. And so if we are committing sin, it doesn't matter because we live by a higher law, another covenant. Now, I I don't believe that. I really don't. I totally reject that. I believe that if we are committing sin, we should acknowledge it and say, yes, that is sin, that is evil, and forgiveness is not an excuse to continue to sin. I'm not willing to say that. I would never say that to people. I will instead say that we don't live by continual forgiveness. We live on the basis of him changing our hearts, that he will change our hearts and that that will be a measure of growth and maturity and that there is no need to continually live in sin or live in the violation of the Old Covenant in the sense that I don't use the New Covenant as justification for the sin that I continually commit. You know, when it comes to issues like divorce and remarriage and things like that, there are other ways to address that subject besides saying something like, you are living in sin and you will always live in sin until you find some way to resolve this matter and divorce who you need to divorce and remarry who you need to remarry. You know, when it comes to stuff like that, there are other ways to deal with those issues besides trying to justify them by saying that we are forgiven and we live according to the new covenant. I'm just giving one example. There are lots of examples that I could give. I'm just giving the one that's the most common. Now, the old covenant was given for certain reasons. The new covenant was given for other reasons. And when a person understands those things, then they can understand the fullness of the scriptures. For example, when Jesus was conducting his ministry What was he teaching? What was he communicating? What was he telling people? He was telling them that there was no way that they were ever going to enter into the kingdom of heaven unless they were as perfect as God. Because that was the covenant that he was teaching. He was teaching the old covenant so that the people would be ready to receive the new covenant when it went into effect. Just this one fundamental truth that Jesus was teaching the Old Covenant because that was the covenant that was in effect until after he died, and then when the New Covenant came into effect, the Old Covenant's purpose was fulfilled at the point of salvation, in which case a person was resurrected by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit according to the New Covenant so that they could walk in the newness of life, which would no longer be based on being led by the law, but instead being led by the Spirit the new covenant went into effect after he died and rose from the dead. So when you read the Gospels, as an example, the first four books that we have bound and what we refer to as the New Testament, you've got to understand that. Because if you do not understand that, then you are going to teach two messages simultaneously trying to make them sound the same. You're going to be telling people that God still holds their sins against them on one hand, and then on the other hand, he doesn't hold their sins against them. In other words, on one hand, he doesn't really love them, but on the other hand, he does. And people will become confused, because when you try to blend the two covenants to turn them into one, you will have confusion. You will. And that is the most common circumstance that I see when it comes to this struggle with regards to the love of God. What is the love of God? Is the love of God a love that says he doesn't keep any records of our wrongs, that he is patient? Or is the love of God a love of God that says he does keep records of our wrongs and he is patiently waiting for us to confess and ask for forgiveness? 
You can't have both when you look at it from that perspective. You really do have to choose one or the other. Either he doesn't keep records or he does. Either sin has been forgiven because of what he did or sin is going to be forgiven because of what you do. You cannot have both and be at peace. You must eventually reject one and embrace the other. And whichever one you choose, God will use. If you reject, if you choose to reject the fact that he doesn't hold your sins against you and believe that he still does to some degree, then you better believe it. You better live by that. And I believe that if you will be sincere and true about that, that it will eventually destroy you. It will crush you. That belief will crush you to the point of absolute despair so that you will see that there is no alternative but to recognize that the sin issue came to an end. And if you don't recognize that, then you will never be loved by your God. Ever. I really believe that. And so if a person does not believe, if they don't believe that God really loves them, then encourage them not to believe that in whatever way they are doing that to themselves. And eventually they will turn to him for who he is. They will be confronted with the fact that they are empty inside and that they are not being loved by their God. And that will be the opportunity for them to embrace him for who he is. Again, in verse 38, this is Romans chapter 8, verse 38, For I, I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, not even ourselves. I don't believe that we can even separate ourselves from the love of God, that he has forgiven us in such a way that he is the one who holds us in his hands, and he is the one who has hidden us in him, and he will never let us go, that even if we choose to turn away from him and turn back into the world, if we know him for who he is in any way at all, we will never be at peace there and we will always return to him because there is nothing but the love of God. And that will continue into chapter 9 in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you,